Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. God is my record, how greatly I long after you, all in the vows of Jesus Christ. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. I'm going to stop there with the scripture, but there are several other verses in the next, this chapter and the next two chapters that I want to, re, to refer to. I thought it was rather interesting that Charlie sang about precious memories <coughs> because that is the way I want to introduce tonight's message, dealing with <coughs> memories. Paul said in that third verse, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. A lot of us have a tendency to sit around and talk about the good old days. Remember back when this and that. I'm sure that many of you did that this Christmas as your families got together and you did some reminiscing. You thought about past events. You thought about maybe some that weren't so good and, and hopefully others that weren't very good. I have to admit to you that this Christmas was extremely difficult for me. And this being the, the second year since Lynn has died and this year Stan and the boys were gone as well. And they called, of course, on Christmas Eve, and we got a chance to talk to them. But what that did was call to remembrance so many, many things. And I excused myself for a while from the family, and I had to be by myself so I could regain my composure. But as I thought about that happening, I began to realize that coming to the forefront in my mind were good things. And I began to remember when this happened and that happened and what we did here and what we did there. And uh, it began to, instead of be painful, it began to be joyful. And that's the way I think the Lord intended for things to happen. I think parents need to build in their family, amongst their children, events that will be good memories. That when we grow older, we will not be thinking of terrible events in our lives, but those good things will begin to come to the forefront and we will remember when various things took place in our lives. Good memories. I 
think this needs to take place here in the church as well. That we as a church need to build good memories. That we will not think back upon last year or the year before or some event in our history as such terrible times, but that we will use all the things that have taken place in our midst to, to think about something that's so good. Remembering a service that we had that was so delightful. I think it will be a long time before I forget last Sunday. Either morning or evening. It was a good thing to happen. And it will be a good memory. I can think back over the past few years of some particular events that have taken place here. And they have been used to build memories. And as we grow older, we, we will think about them. And Paul is doing this very thing. He is going back in his mind when he writes to the Philippians, and, and he says, every time I remember you, I thank God. What a tremendous thing to be able to say about somebody. When I think of you, I thank God. When your name passes through my mind, I thank God. And that's what Paul, Paul actually was doing. And it was bringing him tremendous joy. And he says in the fourth verse, then that always in every prayer, I make a request for you with joy. He was, was happy. George... Raindrop, I believe was his last name, wrote a book called No Common Task. And in that book, he told the story of a nurse on one of our mission fields that was teaching men how to pray. And she gave them a, a very simple process by using the five fingers, or the four fingers and the thumb, if you want to separate out the thumb. And she taught these men that when you pray, first of all, pray with the thumb. That is, pray for the person nearest to you. Somebody near and dear to you. Secondly, use the pointing finger and pray for the person to whom it points usually to someone who is, is your teacher or the one that you look up to. Thirdly, use the center finger, being the tallest, to pray for those who are in position of importance, such as we pray tonight for the president and for other leaders, people in position that need our prayers. And then she said, fourthly, use the weakest finger, which the, that finger is the weakest on the hand, to remind us that we are to pray for those who are weak and are in need. And then she said, use your little finger, and that's you, the little one, the least. Pray for yourself last. There is an order of prayer. 
And as Paul began to pray, the first thing in his prayer was here, he remembered those that were very close to him and prayed for them. And he said, always in my prayer, I make request for you with joy because it, he, they were such a delight to him. And why were they a delight? He spells it out in verse 5 when he says that your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, from the first day you ever heard me preach until right now, you have shared with me in the gospel. People who share together bring tremendous joy to each other. And Paul remembered this as, as he uh, bowed in prayer. Now I want you to go over to verse 18 and take a look at something. And we'll have to back up to a few other verses to do it, but read first verse, verse 18 first. He asked the question, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therefore do rejoice. Joy. See the word joy there? Yea, and will rejoice, or will have joy. Now, with that summary, he is saying that I get joy out of knowing that Christ is preached. Now go back to verse 12. Paul says, but I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, look at that verse a minute. We know that Paul went through tremendous persecution, shipwrecked, left for dead, beaten in prison, the whole, the whole thing. And he is saying, I know now, brethren, that all these things that happened to me resulted in a fallout of the gospel. In other words, what happened to me furthered the gospel of Christ. We sometimes look at our distresses and have a tendency to bemoan our fate and grumble and complain and cry and have a pity party. A self-pity party. Paul could have had a pity party that would have surpassed any pity party. Because everything seemingly bad happened to him. But he comes back and he says, I know it happened in order that there would be a furtherance of the gospel. Something good can and does come out of our circumstances to those who love the Lord. It makes no difference what our circumstance is. There can be a fallout from our circumstance that will further the gospel in the hands of the Lord. Verse 13, So that my bonds in Christ are made known in all the palace and all other places. It was known that he was in bonds for Christ. He was suffering for Christ. Everybody knew that. His position had been well taken and was well known. Verse 14. 
And many of the brethren in the Lord, many Christian people, now notice what happens here. Many of them, as a result of his bonds, as a result of his sufferings, look what happened. Many of them, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to preach the word without fear. I want you to notice what happened here. Some people got such tremendous inspiration from Paul's bondage, his stand, his determination to not falter and preach the gospel regardless of the consequences. That attitude of Paul's made some people bold enough to start preaching. If he can do it, I can do it. I want to parallel that. The, the bonds that you and I have, the troubles that we have are bad to us. But listen, people look at us and watch us, and if we overcome our problems, if we still can find joy in God, if we can still find a smile on our face and a delight in our heart, and it radiates out from us even while we're having troubles, somebody else is going to say, if he can do it, I can do it. There's the fallout, you see. Indirectly, many people are blessed because of our bonds, our difficulties. Many people are. And whether you know it or not, or will ever find it out in your lifetime, be absolutely sure somebody is watching to see how you handle life. And if you take it on the chin and still can say, I've got joy in my heart, they're going to notice that. And they're going to wonder, what is there about that person that makes it possible for them to suffer and still be happy? Not happy with the consequences, but happy with the fact that we know that the Lord is in control of our lives and we're going to serve him regardless of what our situation is. <coughs> this is one of the problems that many people get into. As soon as problems hit, they fall. Run away from the church. I do not, do not understand, never have understood it, and never will understand it, I suppose. Why it is when a person gets in trouble, he quits going to church. But it happens over and over and over again. Difficulties come, so the person goes. If there is any place a person in difficulty ought to be, it's in the church. It's with Christian people. And this attitude of Paul brought many people to the point that they got confident that if he can do it, I can do it. And they started preaching. They were bold. They went without fear as well. And they likewise suffered some of the consequences. All right, that's one group. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Now, not everybody liked Paul. You can't find anybody to talk about Paul today. Everybody thinks Paul's a great man. But in the day that he was preaching, not everybody liked him. And everybody said, he's getting all the attention. Not everybody, but some. He's getting all the attention. He, everybody's following him. 
Why, I'm preaching and nobody comes to hear me. And so they were envious and they began to strive with Paul. And there was ill will established between other people who were preaching and Paul who was preaching. That always happens. Amongst preachers, I suppose it doesn't happen amongst people in the congregation, but amongst preachers there is this thing of envy that gets into the picture if a man isn't careful, or a woman, and he will think, that other guy has got the big congregation. I mean, why shouldn't I preach to 500 people today? Somebody is. There were churches in Charleston with that many attendants today. Uh, I only had 65. I envy that guy up there. You see what I'm saying? Paul said, I don't care why you preach. Even if you're preaching out of envy. Even if you want to fight with me. Go ahead. Take issue with me. That's all right. I don't mind. Just preach. That's what he said in the second group. Third group. 16. One preached Christ of contention, not sincerely. Then there were those who were not preaching sincerely at all. They thought that by their preaching and what they were saying, that they were going to add affliction to Paul. That's exactly what they're doing. They're just heaping problems upon him. I'll guarantee you that there are some preachers who give problems to other preachers. And there are some members of the congregation that create problems for other members of the congregation. We ought not do it, but we do it. And that's what was happening to Paul. Paul's pointed out three groups of people, those who were preaching because they got confidence out of his preaching, those who were preaching because of envy and strife, and those who are just simply being ornery and... and uh, being discontent in every way and thought that he was getting all the attention. And Paul says in verse 15, I don't care why they're preaching. If the gospel is being presented, then God's going to get the glory and I'm going to rejoice. That's a pretty good attitude. It should not make any difference who gets the glory as long as Christ does. And that's exactly what Paul said. You know that there are some people who won't teach or do anything in the church unless they are given the glory. This is one of the things that, that uh, a pastor has to be extremely careful about all the time, is to be sure that he has properly uh, recognized everybody who has done something. And if you miss somebody, oh boy, that's too bad. I mean, his name gets really riddled. And I know that happens continually. Very difficult. And I've been laboring recently over, over this very issue of trying to figure out how to recognize somebody without slighting somebody else. And I don't know how to do it. It's impossible to do, I suppose. Paul said, I don't care why anybody's doing what as long as Christ gets the glory. And he would find joy in that. Well, all right. The point is, I may not, you may not appreciate the methods and all the ways that things are being done, and I don't particularly appreciate some of the ways and some of the things that are being preached in, in some churches, even in Boone County. But if Christ is getting the glory, let him go to it. That's the attitude that Paul was taking. 
All right, let's, I want you to go over verse 25 now in that first chapter. Third joy. One joy is of their remembrance. The second joy was of the fact that Christ is being preached. He took great delight in that. The third joy is in verse 25. Joy of faith. The last three words of that verse. The fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ ought to make us happy. Are you glad you're a Christian? Really? Or are there times that you would almost wish that you weren't? You know, surprisingly, I have heard a few people say to me in not too many weeks past in this community, I'm not so sure that I'm glad that I became a Christian. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong. Being a Christian, having faith in God, ought to bring to us a delight, a joy that is unsurpassed. There's a hymn that says, Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. That ought to be a happy day. And we ought to be glad that we serve the Lord. When Moses came back down off the mountaintop, Scripture tells us that his face shone. It was bright from the presence of the Lord. Christianity is one that the only religion that brings that kind of happiness to the adherent. It is a joyful thing to know that we can have faith in God. It is a joyful thing to know that we don't have to worry that God is in control. There's something wrong when a Christian uh, does not express delight in his faith. We ought to be joyful. Fourth joy is found over in the second chapter, the first two verses. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy. We're talking about fellowship here. Back in the Psalms, 133, verse 1, I think. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What a delight it is to be together. One of the things that I notice a lot, I guess I pay keen attention to it from the pulpit is to notice families that are together. It's, it's a delight to see children sit with mother and dad in the service. That's a tremendous blessing. I have to, Don, you and your family always come to mind when I think about this because you sit together. I think that's good. 
you know Alan's about three feet from you, you're still yet together. And uh, of course Becky and the baby and the others, the same. It's important, but not only as a biological family, but when we as a, a church enjoy each other's company. We'll do that tonight downstairs in a fellowship type setting. When we really enjoy getting together and when we say to each other, I'm glad to see you and really mean it. That's a delight. He's talking about the joy of fellowship. And, and he remembers the fellowship that he's had with these Philippian people. And he's talking about fellowship in the spirit and about love. And, and all these things. And he's, he wants, he, to, he encourages them to fulfill his joy. That everybody in that group be like-minded as well. All right, let's go on to the fifth joy, which is the joy of suffering. And that's in the 17th verse of this second chapter. Yea, and if I be offered up, uh, offered upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Even if Paul were going to be executed for his faith and in their benefit, he was going to take great joy in doing that. You perhaps know the name Polycarp, one of the early church martyrs, the bishop of Smyrna, head of the church in Smyrna, was to be executed. The soldiers came to his house to arrest him and take him out for execution. And he opened the door and invited them into his house and asked his family to prepare them a meal and he sat the soldiers down at his table and fed them a meal. And then he asked the soldiers if they would give him just one hour of uninterrupted time for prayer before they took him. They granted it, and he prayed there in their midst, and they were tremendously touched by the prayer of a man who prayed for his executors. They took him to the arena. They threatened to turn the wild animals in on him, and he said that that was all right with him, do whatever you need to do. And the man who kept the animals looked at Polycarp and closed his animal cages and said, I've quit for the day. And then they threatened him with fire, and they did bring wood from wherever they could find it and built a fire around the stake and took Polycarp and tied his hands and stood him in the midst of this pile of rubble, and he asked that he be allowed to die in the fire unshackled. He promised that he would not move from the fire, and they took his shackles off, and he stood in the fire, and he prayed this prayer. He said, I thank thee, O Father, that thou hast judged me worthy of this hour and stood in the fire. The story of his death was that there was no stench went up from his body, but it was a sweet-smelling odor. 
like frankincense. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he was willing to pay the price. He went in joy because he knew his Lord. We have a lot of abortion protesters today, and I think that is good, and they ought to protest. I've been quite impressed by a few of them whom I've heard give their testimony. And, and uh, one man and one lady particularly that were interviewed on the uh, Focus on the Family program, Jim Dobson's program, in which he interviewed them. The lady was one of his staff who was going to jail the next day, just after her interview, because she had protested at an abortion clinic and was arrested and was jailed and was tried and sentenced to a prison sentence. And he, uh, Jim Dobson asked her if she were afraid, and she said yes indeed, she was afraid she'd never been there before. Didn't know quite what to expect, but had been advised of some of the things that she might anticipate, but that she was willing to go because she believed in, in, in the effort that she had expended. Another gentleman, who had been in jail many times and was going to Florida for, I knew that when he went to the abortion clinic there in Florida that he would be arrested and he would be imprisoned. He already knew that. He already had his plans made. He was well prepared to pay the penalty. Listen, we are people who need to know why we do what we do, and if it means we suffer, we do it with joy in our hearts, prepared for the consequences, whatever they might be. This was Paul, and this was many other people. Sixthly, there is the joy and hospitality that he talks about over in verse 28 and 29. He's talking here about a man by the name of Ephroditus. You'll find his name up in, in verse 25. Ephroditus had been very, very ill, a companion of Paul's, and nearly died, and the people at, at Philippi were, were, very, were very much uh, uh, concerned about him and had prayed about him, and Paul says that he's going to send Ephroditus to them in order that they might rejoice in seeing him. And you'll find those words in the 28th verse. I think there is nothing more delightful than the privilege of a reunion with people who have been separated from us for a while that we love. Some of the people who are part of this church and have been over the years when they come back, it's a tremendous joy and delight to see them. When we go home to families, it's a tremendous blessing and joy to, to be reunited. Uh, what a tremendous thing it is when we can receive into our midst those people for whom we've prayed and, and with whom we have fellowshiped, the people that we've loved, and so many times that has been true of us here. And then lastly, over in the third, uh, in the third chapter, and the very first verse, he said, Finally, my brethren, have joy in the Lord. Happiness is... And there are many answers to that. But one answer I think that we ought to use tonight, happiness is being with those that we love. Joy is being with the Lord. I cannot imagine a person who says he loves the Lord, but, would, but what would want to be in his presence. 
three of the of the New Testament people, Paul, John, probably even Peter and some of the others, made reference to the fact that they were anxious to go. They wanted to be with the Lord. I think we look at death in the wrong with the wrong view that it ought to be looked upon by us as a means whereby we get to be with the one we love the most. And if we do, in fact, love him that much, there is an anxiety that would be in our soul to uh, want us to do that. I confess I'm not at that point. I remember a deacon I had in the church many years ago up in his 80s. He was of ill health. He knew that he would soon die, and one evening he knew he was dying, and he did die, except his family called the rescue squad, and they revived him, and he was back to life. And when he found out he was alive and still on earth, I have never seen a man madder in all my life. (laughs) He thought he had finally succeeded in getting the greatest joy of his life, and somebody cheated him out of it for a little while and kept him here. He was ready to go and anxious to go. I'll never forget that man and the experience of seeing him express that attitude, for he was joyful to be present with the Lord. Well, we're not ready yet to be present with the Lord, but surely we can be with him as his spirit is in our heart, his spirit is our spirit commune together. The Lord is with us, and we are surely to find joy in his presence. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.